Welcome to Dudes on Movies, a podcast where dudes talk about movies. I'm your dude, Scott. I'm your dude, Dave. And today we're discussing 1964's Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, directed by Stanley Kubrick and starring Peter Sellers and George C. Scott. But before we do that, let's talk about what we've been watching. Dave, what have you been watching? Um, I watched The Thing. I it was it was it came up in like a um John Carpenter's yes John Carpenter's oh, yeah. 1982 version a, a, a previous my episode. favorite one yeah one of our early go back in the dudes catalog mm-hmm. um but you you know you can always watch this movie it's always good and I just was like you know having a uh you know a busy time at work and, it, and when I got back to the hotel that night I just was like I'm watching the thing I don't care perfect so, yeah um that's not a movie you could unwind to very much but <laughs> you wouldn't think no <laughs> i mean if you've seen it multiple times yeah, yeah. It, you could just sit back and appreciate it exactly if it's the first time you're not gonna relax no. so <laughs> no you're gonna be on edge the whole time but and you well, know what you you're know. still on edge after the 10th time i know exactly because you're still not ready for all those scares and but but it still washes <laughs> over you and and it's it's still such a, a great movie that you can you can somewhat unwind with it if you if you're in the right frame of mind yeah i think it's the definitive the thing also it's, i would agree it's the best one mm-hmm. that's awesome i watched a miyazaki film from 1984 called nausicaa of the valley of the wind have you heard of this one day um no I'm it's not one familiar. of his first ones i think okay it's really good, as you'd imagine. All of his films are pretty good. Yeah. And it reminds me a lot of, like, Princess Mononoke, the mm-hmm. story, man versus nature kind of thing. Uh, a couple, like, kingdoms are left on Earth of people who live in these, like, little areas. And there's, like, a toxic jungle taking over the world. Yeah. Filled with these gigantic bugs. It's like the dune sandworm type things. Oh, okay. And um, it's just a battle between the two of them, basically. But it's it's way more than that. Right. As you'd imagine. The animation's great. It's that 80s animation, yes. you know, like G.I. Joe shit. Yeah, It's sure. better, though, because this is Japanese Miyazaki yes. animation. Yes. And I love the soundtrack to it. I, I couldn't stop listening to the soundtrack after I'd watched the movie. I kept cool, turning man. it on uh, the internet, man. This movie's awesome. So if you're a fan of Miyazaki or, like, fantasy films, mm-hmm. you got to watch this one. Right. It's awesome. That's great, man. Mm-hmm. So last week, the question of the week was, what is your favorite Stephen King adaptation? And we got quite a few responses here, Dave. Mainly, we got a lot of uh, The Shawshank Redemption, yeah. The Green Mile, and Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. Those are like the big three. Right. Um, but we also got on Instagram, Carrie and Pet Cemetery from Free Great Movies. Okay. They like both of those. Okay. Carrie's okay, and Pet Cemetery's okay. Yeah, Carrie's... I wouldn't say they're the best. No, but, they're not. But yeah. they might be that guy's favorite, and, so... And, and Carrie yeah. is, is, is I, I would argue, way better than Pet Cemetery. certainly. I agree. Yeah. And on Twitter... <laughs> At Charlie Street, mm-hmm. super fan says yeah. Lawnmower Man. I think he's joking. Yeah, he's he's, he's got messing joking. with us a bit. I mean, <laughs> I, I hope Lawnmower Man Charlie is not your favorite Stephen King adaptation. Um, yeah, yeah, you, you, I you, doubt it. I, I hope not. <laughs> the other one, the other interesting one that I think came from Erica was was it, which was oh, yeah. the um, like they're they're. They're doing another theatrical film uh, soon. Right. Yeah, it. it's coming out soon. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think that's what she was referring to is the upcoming thing, because the previous one um, was a TV adaptation on ABC. There was a time yeah. where like Stephen King movies were coming out, you know, like they were left and right. Yeah. Uh, it, the Langoliers, Tommyknockers. Uh, there was a, there, the, yeah. the stand had a miniseries. Oh, and, yeah. You know, you're always looking forward to them and they always kind of disappointed because it was network television and you really couldn't do much. Right. But um, the theatrical version of it is probably going to feel a, very much like Stranger Things. Yeah. I've heard that 
they're doing two films for the it. If they have to, they're doing yeah. a kid and adult, you know, timelines. And that's awesome because like that book is twelve hundred pages thick. Yeah, you have to have two at least two movies to to get everything in. Yeah, and speaking of page numbers. Uh, she also mentioned Dark Tower coming out. Sure, so. right. Seven books long, <laughs> man. You know, you know. Apparently, this is like some kind of side thing that yeah. relates to the books. It's not actually the stories. It's not like the gunslinger story, I don't think. Is that right? I think. I okay. think that's what I heard. All right. Well, I'm, I'm sure it's... I mean... They can't fit it all into one movie, I'll tell you that much. Exactly, because like... They Rand- split The Hobbit into three fucking movies, I know, movies, my so. God, that, w- that was one book, but like, <laughs> like this is, I mean, and I know that Randall Flagg exists like in the Stephen King universe, I mean, he's in The Stand, yeah, um, and he's in, also in The Dark Tower, so so yeah, m- maybe they do have a lot of supplemental material that they can, you know, pretty much get in there. I'm sure it'll be decent, yes. so... Uh, thanks for letting us know, you know, the answer to the question of the week, stay tuned to the end and we'll give you the new question of the week, Yes. Folks. Now, let's talk about Dr. Strangelove, Dave. Mm-hmm. Why don't you give everyone a synopsis? Sure. Um, so, you know, okay, so previously on the Hot Fuzz episode, I gave that movie vaunted status of, you know, the plot is Hot Fuzz. The plot of this one is Dr. Strangelove, <laughs> but I've still got to do some explaining because, like, for for, for any, um, like, anybody who, I, I know that most of us probably doing and listening to this show weren't alive for the Red Scare. Um, that was, you know, like after World War II, um, the Cold War began and mm-hmm. uh, the Soviets and the Americans were, you know, just always about to go, you know, they were always about to break out into war. Um, and we were afraid of one another. We were both huge nuclear powers and we didn't know what anyone was doing. Mm-hmm. And so we were having we were engaging in war all over the world, just not specifically with each other. Our, our allies were the ones like sort of doing the fighting for us and we were intervening here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this film, it posited that the Soviets have created a doomsday machine, which is a, a device that will like, you know, launch all of their nuclear arsenal at once. The whole world will be decimated. And once it's triggered, there's no way to turn it off. Nope. And the way it's triggered is by, um, you know, anyone flying in Soviet airspace uh, like dropping a bomb and that will, you know, it's not just initiating World War Three. it's the destruction of Earth. Entirely. Yes. I think it. The, they say the Earth will be covered in a fallout that will last for 93 years. Exactly. That's the half-life of this, you know, radioactive material they have on mm-hmm. this uh, doomsday machine. There's that much firepower and the whole, and sort of the conflict of the movie, in addition to their, their you know, like total nuclear annihilation is that the America, uh, our forces here in America, they launch a nuclear attack um, by accident based on the orders of a general who's gone a little bit nuts. Yeah, he is tired of all the political deliberation and talking. Mm-hmm. He wants action. He, he wants to finally do something about it. Exactly. So he exceeds his powers and triggers, mm-hmm. you know, the order. Yes. To go bomb Russia. And he also thinks that the Soviets have fluoridated our water system, which has rendered him impotent. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, that's a huge conspiracy theory that's around the water thing there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's Russian or our own government or whatever, but it's, it's it's a thing, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But as we all know, our government doesn't really care much about our water. So Uh, yes, that, that, that's, that's for true. By the way, this movie is a comedy. Does yeah. that does that sound funny to you guys out there? <laughs> I know it's it's, God, it's the it's the most messed up thing, and it's it's not like a traditional comedy. It's a satire, basically, mm-hmm. um, but not in the way Hot Fuzz is, right? Like we did last year, last sorry, last week. Last week. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm a little under the weather, folks. But uh-huh. um, last week Hot Fuzz, 
that was an in-your-face kind of jokes every 30 seconds, mm-hmm. fast-paced, taking a shit on the genre of action movies. Right. This is a very kind of, I don't know, a, an intellectual satire. Yes. Where you, it's not jokes flying out of everyone's mouth all the time. It's situational stuff that is just, if you're paying attention to it, or the ridiculousness of it just makes it hilarious. Exactly. And I feel like the more you watch this movie, the better it gets. I would agree. Because you'll pick up on things, mm-hmm. and the jokes you already know are there. You catch a little extra bit, and it just sinks in even further. Yes. And it just it just makes you bust over with laughter. Absolutely. And the actors, um, you know, portraying this this, this situation are are doing it totally straight. Um, they're, I mean, like. In other in other films, even when it's a laugh a minute like Hot Fuzz, you get a little bit of that from the main character, the straight man. Yeah. In this case, everyone is is um, like no one is winking at the audience, but everyone is an idiot. Yeah, um, pretty like, much. Like yeah. almost everybody in the movie, you know, ha- has that they're they don't deserve the position they have in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 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 thing that makes you laugh is not only how they're handling the situation, but also you're laughing, I guess. Um, kind of in a gallows humor way at the idea of this actually playing out in real life and how semi-plausible a lot of this is. I think that's the main thing. Like, this is something that is... It's a click of a button away from happening. You know, there's a red button that is... Someone's fingers hovering over it, like, at all times. Yes. Especially in the 1960s. Of course. This was the biggest fear of everyone Mm -hmm. in the world, probably. that's right. So, yeah, like, that's what makes it so funny is because... This could have happened. It probably was happening. <laughs> of course. I mean, the movie ends with a total nuclear fallout, but I think that's how it ends. <laughs> yes, that is how it uh, ends. But uh, yeah, in, in real life, that didn't happen, right. thankfully. Right. And I mean, so in the beginning of the film, um, we, we kind of open on uh, like one of Kubrick's most you know famous opening um you know, montages uh, where we're we're seeing the opening credits. The the credits are rolling and it's in this very strange, gigantic font that covers the entire screen, but a plane is being refueled while in the air. Yeah. And, you know, it's essentially a phallus going inside of a, of a vaginal opening for the Mm -hmm. most part. I mean, like every shot you see is just every, everything, everything like in this opening, you know, uh, sequence is, is sexual aggression. Okay. And that continues throughout the entire movie. I mean, like, most of what's going on here can be attributed also to just, I mean, you know, General General Ripper, Sterling Hayden's character, is, you know, impotent himself, physically impotent, but mm-hmm. everybody else in the movie is also kind of, like, sexually frustrated, I feel. And, you know, like, both, both on the U.S. and on the Russian side, because, you know, we, we, we've... It, it was the 1960s. You know, we, we, we hadn't, like, had the counterculture movement yet. Mm-hmm. So so people were very repressed. And after this this opening uh, sequence, we go into the uh, the base uh, where General Ripper is in charge. Uh-huh. And we, we are introduced to uh, Group Captain Lionel Mandrake from the Royal Air Force, who is mm-hmm. there as part of the officer exchange program. He's played by Peter Sellers. One mm-hmm. of three roles played by Peter Sellers. I know, that's... Insane. It is. And I don't think I would have even noticed this Mm-mm. unless you had previously told me before that Peter Sellers plays all these characters. No. Um, it's not the Nutty Professor or Austin Powers. You don't know this is Peter Sellers in each of these roles. Right, which is what is so great about it. Mm-hmm. Each role is so distinct, and each performance is so distinct. Yes. This is a wonder right here. It's unrecognizable. Acting. I it's mean, great. I know. I know. Um, My favorite, I think, is Mandrake. Yeah. I think... That's his best. Okay. They're all so different, though. I know. Like, 
I think I just like the character Mandrake a little more. I, I, I think that is. And, and when, when I said everybody's an idiot, he's the only one who's not an idiot. Right, because he knows, you know, something's wrong here. You're not supposed to be doing this, General Ripper. Uh-huh. His name's Jack D. Ripper, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like another level of a joke of course. hidden in the movie. It's not subtle, but it's excellent. Yeah, Jack D. Ripper. Uh-huh. Um, so he knows what's going on and it's not right. And he gets locked in the room with General Ripper. And mm-hmm. he's there with him the whole time. Yeah. Even when uh, the president, who's also played by Peter Sellers. President Merkin Muffley. Yeah, Merkin Muffley. <laughs> the names are brilliant. I know. The names are brilliant. <laughs> He's locked in this room as as the president tells the rest of the army to, you know, get in there. We got to stop the general and get the codes to call our planes back. Yes. So he's, Mandrake, stuck in this office as... Basically, the army is like just bearing down on this little base mm-hmm. and blowing everything away. Right. Uh, the, my favorite part during all these like shootout sequences is a big sign that says "Peace is our profession," <laughs> like a big billboard, and yes. like the armies are just shooting at each other. I know, it's so great. And, and it, the the "Peace is our profession" sign actually breaks up what is some real terrifying tension in that moment because yeah. like it's when. The, you know, the president has sent in um, reinforcements to, to go get General Ripper. General Ripper has already issued the order that anything that comes within 200 feet of the base is to be fired upon. Yep. So when the U.S. Army shows up at this base and they're being fired upon by their own troops, mm-hmm. like they're just like Stanley Kubrick just kind of frames it. And you just see like people like shooting at each other. And you're like, oh, my God, what if this was really happening? You know, like, wow, that's that's really a scary thought. And then you see the pieces, our profession, you know, um, (laughs) like sign. And you're reminded again that this is a comedy Uh at its heart. And there's a great line, too. When the army first shows up to attack its own base. Yeah. The soldiers defending the base are like, God, the the commies got our own vehicles. Yes. And they're like, man, where'd they get them? And he goes, probably army whole surplus. (laughs) Yes, of course. (laughs) Which, (laughs) Which is so ridiculously funny. I know. And it's so underplayed. Uh-huh. Like, you, you got to catch that line. Yeah. And they don't deliver it as a joke. But think about that. Like, okay, yeah, our army has so much shit we don't need that we just sell it to whoever pays the most, even if it's our worst enemy. Like, we would literally do that. I know. We do it all the time. And I mean, yeah, <laughs> our own uniforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's the other thing that General Ripper told his troops at the base was that, like, you know, that if you see U.S. Army approaching, that's the Soviets. Mm-hmm. They're going to be wearing our own uniforms. So just, just fire at them. Don't, yep. don't even think about it. Yep. Good Lord. And the thing is that, like, this is all the standard procedure for when you issue this command. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so the the regular soldiers that are out here, like, they're not questioning, like, what's going on. They're like, all right, we finally have started this nuclear war, yeah. and now we've got to act on it. That's so, right. So, like, they, they're taking it seriously because they don't know that General Ripper's insane yeah. and wants to destroy the world, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and the confrontation that happens in the office, you know, um, like, like Captain Mandrake uh, gets the call from General Ripper saying, you know, like, we're, we're, we're going, and he's... and. A Mandrake originally thinks that, oh, okay, well, this is an exercise. Keep everybody on their, you know, on their toes or whatever. Right, yeah. Um, and he's like, no, this is not a, this is not a drill. And he like gets get a little bit scared, and then he starts. He go, turns on civilian radio, and there's music playing. Yeah. So he goes into Rep- Ripper's office and says, uh, I've just uh, seen this, sir. Um, listen, I, I, I think that the people in Washington are are, are messing with you a little bit. Yeah. Um. He's like, no, this is not a drill. This is really happening. Well, we wouldn't be hearing civilian. We wouldn't be hearing music on the radio if, right. if this was really nuclear war. And uh, that's when he 
you know, says, go ahead and lock that door. Right. And Mandrake goes over, locks the door, and then he takes some files out, and there's a gun under there. And, yep. and like, Mandrake immediately looks at the gun and knows what, what what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Mandrake's not an idiot, like right. you said. Right. Which I think is why I like him so much. Me too. And it, he actually has probably, it might be one of my, it's one of my favorite scenes. When, when Ripper knows that, all right, maybe this isn't going to work out. Mm-hmm. The army has gotten through. We're surrendering. Um, and I'm going to be, you know, court-martialed for this and yes. put in prison. Yes. If I'm not dead from nuclear war. <laughs> um, and he realizes this. And he there's a very, like, it's a very well-done scene where he's sitting there talking to Mandrake, asking him, you know, were, were you tortured ever in, in the war or whatever? And uh-huh. Mandrake's saying, yeah, the Japanese tortured me or whatever when yes. I was captured and stuff. So. And it's a very heartfelt conversation between these two high-ranking officers who uh-huh. care about what they're doing. And General Ripper just, you can see it the whole time. He's just kind of zoned out. And he, you realize something's going to happen. Yes. And he goes ultimately in the bathroom and he kills himself. And the whole time Peter Sellers realizes this is where it's going. And he's trying to kind of pull Ripper back in. Like, yeah. all right, come on. No, we'll get through this. This is fine. Hey, right. we'll go, go do this. And why don't you give me the code? You know, trying to get right. the code out of him before he blows his head off. Right. It it's one of the best scenes in the movie because, I mean, it's not even it's not funny actually. It's it's a real scene. This oh, it's, is it's real not being situation. For right. It's not yeah. a comedy scene. Right. And I think that's why I really like it. Mm-hmm. It fits perfectly in the movie too. Yes. Like it doesn't need to be laughs. Like this is a very real movie. Because even though this is a comedy, the 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 turns of the plot, like for them to actually work, you have to get serious in these moments. And, yeah. And this is one of those times. I mean, like like when when Ripper goes into the bathroom and he and it it doesn't he doesn't immediately kill himself. You just hear the water running. Yeah. And Mandrake is like encouraging him, saying, "There you go, Jack, old boy. You know, get some water in the back of the neck and yeah. you know, wash your face and and feel, it, you'll feel like a new man. That it's going mm-hmm. to make you feel wonderful." And then you just hear the gunshot and Mandrake, you know, immediately just like springs into action, goes over to the bathroom and he can't even get in because like, you know, Ripper's on the floor. Yeah. His body's blocking the door from opening all the way. Right. Mm -hmm. And as good as Peter Sellers is in these sequences as Mandrake, I mean, Sterling Hayden is playing this like just so note perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, He's hilarious in his scenes and he's never once smiling. He's always chomping that cigar. I mean, it, it leaves his yeah. mouth maybe once yes. in, in 15 minutes of screen time. Yes. <laughs> through, he's chomping it through his dialogue. He is. And it's great because the camera's on him, uh-huh. just on his face. And he's leaning back in his chair, giving this speech about war and things. And the cigar is just in his mouth flapping uh-huh. the whole time. And you see him, like, trying to swallow and stuff while he's talking. <laughs> and, like, his head's leaning back. It's taking... Extreme effort to not take the cigar out of his mouth. It is. And it shows on the screen, which is part of the comedy. Exactly. And it's moving from like one side of the mouth <laughs> yeah. to the other. Oh, it's so yeah, good. Because physically, this is taking a toll on Sterling <laughs> Hayden, the person. Um, and it's and I think, it, I mean, I haven't seen Lolita in a while, but it might be the first, um, like, the, the, the first one of like Stanley Kubrick's hallmarks of like shooting that, that angle of looking up at someone's face, right? which he did in clockwork orange. He does it in the shining later yeah. on. I th- um, and th- like th- this was kind of the birth of that uh, to my knowledge anyway. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, it's like a bridge for Kubrick basically I like, agree, yeah. from his earlier stuff to his later stuff. Yeah. Like you can see where all this genius is coming out. Yes. He was genius before, but it was still like, Studio movies, kind of. Yeah. And you'd see these touches of his brilliance. Mm-hmm. 
This one, this movie's brilliant completely. Yes, but it still feels like an old movie. It like, does, like yeah. that fifties kind of, of style, right? But it's so subversive then, that you you can start seeing what Kubrick's right. going to do later. And then right after this, he does two thousand one. Mm-hmm. Crazy, I know. Um, and and like the when, when he got started, like in the in the like in the fifties. I mean, like with, with the killing, yeah, uh, oh, with Sterling Hayden, such a great movie. It's it's awesome, mm-hmm. but it's like. Um, th- th- this this feels um, like that that was that was uh, after that uh, up until this it was like almost all studio stuff. Mm-hmm. Even Lolita was was kind of a studio project. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, even though it had Peter Sellers in it, and like he, there's developing a relationship with Kubrick, this this feels like the first like Kubrick auteur project. Yeah, like you look at it and you say, all right, that's Stanley Kubrick. Exactly. I can just tell. You 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 know where all the brushstrokes are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so the movie kind of like like we, we've talked about the the base with with Mandrake and Ripper, but like the the movie has like sort of three sets pretty much. Yeah. Um, you have the 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 base, um, then you have the war room with uh with the pre- with President <laughs> Merkin Muffley and yeah. uh, and George C. Scott's character General Buck Turgidson. Mm-hmm. And then there's one of the planes that General Ripper ordered to go you know attack Russia that mm-hmm. was already in Russian airspace. Yeah. Um. It's uh. You're just seeing the interior of the plane with with all the crew and it's uh, Slim Pickens, um. And a bunch of uh. Slim Pickens is the is the uh the the captain of the plane and then uh, James Earl Jones is one of his officers. Mm-hmm. Um, very young James Earl Jones, and, and then there's a bunch of other guys. They're, they're the ones who have been ordered to, you know, drop bombs on on their mm-hmm. their targets in Russia. And uh, so, they're, what the what the guys in the war room, the president and the and the other generals are trying to do is like get the recall code so that they can issue it to Slim Pickens and all the other planes that are hovering yeah. above Russian mm-hmm. airspace. Um, and I guess we can move to the war room if that's all right. <laughs> Okay, let's not fight in there. Though. Yeah, we can't fight in there. That's the most famous line in the film: "Is is you can't fight in here, gentlemen. This is the war room." Right. Um, but so when George C. Scott is delivering a lot of like, uh, he he's telling the president what happened. Yep. It's a brilliant like kind of exercise in breath control on the part of like George C. Scott, uh-huh. physically the actor. Yeah. He's giving a ton of like backstory and expository dialogue, and when he reads the letter. That General Ripper gave to the uh, the high command in Washington, you can almost hear Sterling Hayden's thoughts in what George C. Scott is saying. Um, and when he before he signs off, he says something about like protecting all of our precious bodily fluids. Yeah, which is a running theme through. Like he he had originally said this to Mandrake, and, uh-huh. and that's when you start to get the idea of like you know of fluoridation of water. Right. Yep. Um, that this is where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and the president is having none of it, and he yeah. he wants you know like like everybody to to put their heads together, and we got to figure this out, right? Um, and he's warring now with George C. Scott because he, he's the president even wants to go as far as like like calling up the Soviets and telling them what right. happened, yep. giving them classified information, and helping them shoot down our own planes, right? Which I think was a brilliant call for the president. It was necessary. You, what what else are you going to do? Yeah. Like you said, everyone's kind of an idiot, but like they are competent in, in, in some ways. In ways. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and even George C. Scott, like he seems like when he's briefing the president, here, yes, he seems like all right. This guy knows what he's talking about, right? Even though we just saw him, you know, screwing his secretary or whatever, <laughs> which is a hilarious scene right. where she just is on the phone and then shouting back to him. Oh, uh-huh. it's really great, Buck, honey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like George C. Scott is wonderful. In this Jeez, briefing awesome. scene, yeah, like I you know. said, he, the breath control and just right. his performance. And the president keeps questioning him, kind of like, 
well, why the fuck did you do that? <laughs> or why, why the hell did that happen? And George C. Scott's like, oh, well, you know, the thing is, yes. and, you know, he goes into all this detail about it. That makes sense. Uh-huh. Like, it's not like, it's not his fault. Right. So he's not, he's not playing it like he's being chastised too much. Mm-hmm. There's just a hint of that. Right. But because it's ultimately Ripper's fault for doing this. Of he issued the command. And, but, you know, what he reports to um, George C. Scott so I mean, I guess it's his fault too. So. Yeah, I mean, he he's responsible but in the, many ways. The way he's behaving here seems appropriate to me, <laughs> even though it's a little absurd at times. Yes, like, and I, I really like when he's like giving the options they have, and one of them is we just do an all-out offensive, and just we will have minimal casualties, ten to twenty million minimum, <laughs> and he's trying to sell it to the president. Yes. <laughs> Because he thinks that, like, I mean, originally he's like, okay, General Ripper went nuts, but what if we yeah. see where this goes? Right, you know? yeah. Oh, man, it's, like, so fucking scary. Mm-hmm. And that that's, like, that's the mindset. Of course. That people like this have. Yeah. Like, you can only imagine sitting in the war room with this group of white men. Yeah. Trying mm-hmm. to see whose dick's the biggest. Exactly. Like, that's all it is. Yeah. Yes. It's perfectly, like we said last week, taking a piss. <laughs> And this time on the U.S. government. Yeah, exactly. And and it was and it needed to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, like like this needed to be said. People needed to know, you know, what is you know presumably going on. I mean, and even though it is satire, and and this is all just a big you know farce, this is quite accurate to what is actually happening. You know, in government then and in government today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's all just a big pissing match. You know, between big fat white jerks. You uh-huh. know, that, that's white fucking assholes. That's all it is. And I think that. The period at the end of the sentence there is when when they drop the bomb at the end and Major Kong is riding it like a bucking bronco yes. with his cowboy hat on. Just going, yeah, that's all he knows. That is America right of there. Course. That is what they're trying to say. Like, yes. that is yeah. the punchline. That's right. That's right. It's that's the perfect visual to get across what he's trying to say with the whole movie. That's every infuriating Facebook group that, that, that invades your feed. My dick's the biggest. Ex- Yeehaw, that's, motherfucker. That, exactly. That's, oh my God. I, I hate it so much. <laughs> and, and and it's so beautifully portrayed. Yeah. And I'm so glad that people were this pissed off 50 years ago. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it's that, good that, that, to see a, this. Exactly. Yeah. And Kubrick's from England, isn't he? Uh, he... Worked or in he England. lived he in is, England for a long yes, time. Yes, he's American yeah. himself. Okay, but he okay. pretty much made his career in England. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, and and yeah, and 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 th- throughout that whole thing of like the the exchange where where, where George C. where George C. Scott Buck Turgeson sort of proposes, well, let's see, you know, what what, what if we went <laughs> in with all this if? stuff? Um, he he has a line where it, that has become part of what I say in everyday life. I now say it all the time. Oh yeah. Is, I'm not saying we wouldn't get our hair must. <laughs> okay. Um, because when, <laughs> when the president like says, well, that that's millions dead. He adds his response is, Mr. President, I'm not saying we wouldn't get our hair must. Um, I mean, because like it's, he says 20 million dead tops and the president <laughs> tops. That's a lot of people <laughs> depending on the breaks. Uh, and he says, you know, like the president's like, I'm not going to go down to his greatest mass murderer in history since Hitler, since he says. Hitler. Yes. <laughs> um, and you know, like, for 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 once, Buck, Buck Turgeson sort of stands up to the president. And says, well, I think you should you know be more interested in in you know American in, lives, American lives yeah. instead of you know. Um, and it goes on like this: the, the war room is is about thirty guys, but it's it's all just it's almost all until like kind of later in the movie, um, George C. Scott and Peter Sellers back and forth across a huge table uh-huh. talking to one another, yelling at each other, and 
I mean, you, you think that this would get static after a while, and it doesn't. It's one of the richest parts of the whole movie. It is. It's be, it's because it's written so well, yeah. and, and it's performed so well. You could just say it's it's done perfectly from every aspect. I know. I know. Yeah. And 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 it's and and like you know George C. Scott with like little ticks, like he keeps putting fresh pieces of chewing gum in his oh mouth. Oh my god, I, that's another thing about America. Fuck yeah. <laughs> they. they the he the amount of gum he keeps popping in his mouth it's like a nervous tick almost yeah it is I know and <laughs> all right so I, I do you remember Roland Emmerich's Godzilla of course the, <laughs> most people do yeah when Jean Renault comes with the French army to stop him uh huh they're all trying to pretend to be American army guys yeah and they all start chewing gum <laughs> and he says it makes us look more American yeah. And then it, the camera pans to everyone, and they're just going, <laughs> "Oh God!" Chewing their gum, right. they do. I know. Like, what a way to show, like, this is America, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm chewing seven sticks of gum right now. Right. And even when uh, they're showing the airplane, and uh-huh. the, and uh, Major Kong is issuing them their like survival kits. Yes, they're filled with whatever, and he's listing them off, you know. And then he's like, seven packs of chewing gum." Like, <laughs> you don't need that much. You get you get one prophylactic, <laughs> one aspirin pill but you get seven <laughs> packs of gum Dude, can we talk just for a second about the issuance of that yeah of that okay yeah, pack? yeah because like it's slim Pickens' best moment in the movie for me <laughs> is good. when is after they he realized he tells the guys okay we're, we're going in we're, we're gonna you know it's nuclear combat toe-to-toe with the ruskies uh-huh. he says he's going through the inventory of like their survival pack should they be shot down right and yes there's the seven packs of chewing gum <laughs> <laughs> There's a Russian phrase book and Bible. It's a mini one. A mini one. <laughs> it's there's uh one issue of prophylactics. Yeah, there which, you go. I mean, I, I guess if I'm shot down out of the sky and I'm scared and l- let's assume that I hit the ground and I actually live through this, uh-huh. my first reaction is, where are the women? <laughs> right. You know, and let me chew this gum. How many rubies do I have? I mean, oh it's wow. It's like you said, it's the it's a main theme of the movie is this, course. like, repressed sexual yeah. desire. Yeah. Like, okay, you've got your prophylactics and your gum, <laughs> and where are the women? If you get shot down, like, that's what I'm worried about first. Oh, yeah, where are the women? Right. And uh, George C. Scott is even with his secretary, yeah, and he shouldn't be. Exactly. And he's leading her on. And then at the end of the movie, even when Dr. Strangelove is saying we should go into the caves, and we can have ten women for each man, and then they all are kind of like... Well, this sounds like a good plan now. They, they like, think it sounds good. The yeah, like, it's re- that's the ridiculous mindset here. Uh, what benefits me, you know? And, and Doctor Strangelove even says, you know, and of course the women must be chosen for their for their physical he's, gifts. You he's know, going into a, a Hitler eugenics rant. Exactly, which is where he's from, of course. Yeah, that's he's the from joke. Germany. I mean, he, he his was, name used to be like von Sprichenschenhaken or something. <laughs> they say Mc, something ridiculous. It was Mcvertikliba, which okay. is German for Strangelove. Oh, is it? Yes. Really? Yeah. That's cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. They're so, like, Strangelove, that's a weird name. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think George C. Scott goes, Strangelove, that ain't no kraut name, is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's there, There's lots of commies, krauts, oh, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Exactly. It's, it's a Jaffs lot of wrong comes headed. out oh, at some yeah. point. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. These guys are so ch- such ignorant, and, and, <laughs> and they're the ones in charge, and they're still in charge in 2017. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> fuck. America, fuck, yeah. Yes, dude. <laughs> and can we talk about the casting of George C. Scott? Absolutely. What a brilliant call. Uh-huh. Let's get General Patton to be this <laughs> well, buffoon yeah, in this movie about war. 
And it's great to see him just go like head first into this role. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. as not the hero. Like, well, and I mean, like Patton hadn't happened yet. Oh, it hadn't. Right. Oh. So this predated Patton. I thought Patton was in 60 for some reason. Yeah. Patton was in 1970. Oh, I'm a decade off. That's okay. all right. Never yeah. mind. Then. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I guess for Patton, that's good casting. I don't know. <laughs> well, here's the here's the thing about it is is like he can you can see his his muscularity as an actor mm-hmm. in that he can do both like like gung ho patriotism and then he can take that and six years prior he did like a jingoist jingoistic um, yeah. you know like satirical portrayal of that same character. Right. So obviously in his head he he knows like he can go both ways and he understands both of these men that he's portraying. You know. In, in the in the best right. way possible. Right. He knows how to do it mm-hmm. and how to do it right. Yep. So that's right. All right. Cool. Well, good casting on his part anyway. Exactly. He does a great job in this movie. Yes. It's amazing. We've already talked about it. Right. And and, and all that all that gum chewing is 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 like it's it's a physical tick. It is, but it's also like a good acting choice by George C. Scott in that mm-hmm. like he he starts doing it more and more when he's being chided by the president. Like like he's giving it. He's being given a dressing down by the president. Yeah. And, and every time like. Uh, like it, it looks like he's in trouble as a little boy. He mm-hmm. st- he goes back to the gum. Um, he also does it after uh, his secretary calls him in the war room. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, now we don't know if he's married and he's messing around with this woman. Right. I, I'm. I don't know if that's the case. That's kind of what I assume. Me too. Yeah. But because she's yeah. about 15 years younger than him. Um, yeah. And she's uh, like. And you don't hear her voice, but but he he's saying things to her like, well, no, of course it isn't only physical. Yeah. I deeply respect you as a human being. Right. And he starts putting and more And I'll make it. you Mrs. Whatever. I, yes, I hope, exactly. I hope to make you one day Mrs. Buck Turgidson. Yep. He tells her to say her prayers. <laughs> That's <know>? right. <laughs> Which is a great touch because I feel like he's a man who would say that either way. Uh-huh. But he knows you might not be living much longer. Exactly. So say your prayers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um... What, can we talk about Doctor Strangelove? Absolutely, This is the final yeah. Peter Sellers character. Yeah. This is one of the strangest characters I've ever seen it's, in a movie. It's bananas, And yeah. it's kind of like, it's kind of out of place in a in a way. I know. Um, be, It just comes out of nowhere, actually. And the whole time you're like, oh, yeah, the movie's called Doctor Strangelove. And then he pops up like, you know, three-fifths of the way through it. Right. And he's this crazy eccentric like mad scientist almost yes i guess he's in charge of the bomb program yes is that what it is i had a hard time following anything about him like, <laughs> okay it was funny <laughs> he got funny at the end i think yeah when he's his arm started just randomly like hiling uh-huh and, and kept yes. moving his yes. wheelchair for no reason yes that was hilarious stuff but <laughs> I, I don't really know how to take this character i mean he like like you said it feels a little bit um, at first, it feels a little bit out of place uh-huh. because even though this is a comedy, it's a comedy of manners. So everyone's playing everything really straight, mm-hmm. and in comes this manic presence. Yeah, like this cartoon, right? And apparently, he's been there the entire time. He's been in the war room right, throughout yeah. the whole thing. And when they just decide, Doctor Strangelove, what do you think? The the wheel- wheelchair <laughs> just whips comes around out of nowhere. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and he starts talking, <laughs> and he starts like saying well, all this crazy yeah. <laughs> shit. Yes, <laughs> well, Mister President, and. What Peter Sellers is doing in these, in the Doctor Strange Love sequences, like like it gets cartoony and then it gets really serious because mm-hmm. like all of a sudden the camera trains on him, and like he's lit in the foreground mm-hmm. in a really unusual way from the other characters. I mean, mm-hmm. like whenever the camera had been on George C. Scott, it was all kind of in 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 shadows a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, there must have just been like a light train yeah, right like some on kind his of face. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
and he is talking about the Doomsday Machine mm-hmm. because the Russian ambassador has been invited into the war room, played by Peter Bull. Right. Um, and he looks a little third man-ish. It does. <laughs> I know. If you ask me. <laughs> I know. He looks like one of Harry Lyme's guys. Yeah. Uh, but he... He, he's he's been explaining what the doomsday machine is he's been explaining like what what the why the soviets built it and dr strangelove he's working for the americans now but he's also like he's very um he's like a nazi expat he or is. something he, he used to work for the nazi i think he's based on like albert speer or something yeah um and he kind of admires the pluck of the soviets in building this but he what he's pissed off about is that when his famous line is why didn't you tell the world because the whole yeah, point of the yeah. Doomsday Machine is everyone knowing that you have it. If no one knows that you have it, then um, it doesn't benefit anyone. Because if it's going to destroy the whole planet, then, then then what good was it? Exactly. Yeah. Um, especially the whole thing of the whole you know mechanism of you know uh, it, it can't be shut off once it's triggered. And George C. Scott doesn't believe the Russian ambassador when he tells him what the Doomsday Machine is. He thinks this is risky posturing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that this isn't what's what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we, we need to go in there. We need to take these guys out while we got a chance. Mm-hmm. And I like how the president decides to get the Russians involved. Uh-huh. I like that. Me too. It was good. And then the the ambassador comes in, and George C. Scott tries to plant a camera on him, like <laughs> immediately. He's like, "Look, I found this on me. He's trying exactly. to take a picture of the big board." <laughs> That's one of my, one of the funniest things too. When when George C. Scott's like, you can't bring him in here. He'll see the big board. Yes, and there's yes. like the, the big board up uh-huh. on the wall. <laughs> it's just a map of the world. They call it the big board. I know. I love. It's just a ridiculous, like school playground phrase. Of course, to call your giant radar probably the most high tech thing ever created yes. to track these planes uh-huh. in the 1960s. Of course, <laughs> it's the big board. He'll see the big board. <laughs> <laughs> the way he, the way he delivers that line is like, are you serious? He'll see the big board. Um, and at the end, the ambassador has a camera and he takes a picture of it. Actually, he does. like when everyone's squabbling. I mean, like like George C. Scott was right. Yeah, I mean he he actually did. He actually is a spy. And I'm still not quite sure because we know the the Earth is destroyed. What the deal was with that? Was he taking a picture of the big board, or was he actually activating the doomsday device? Oh, I wonder. And I wanted to talk to you about the ending, because it seemed to kind of just, all of a sudden, like, click, and then yeah. it's it's done. Yeah. Like, oh, it was really quick and abrupt. Like, we dropped the bomb. Yeah. And then it's kind of the end, and the, and everyone's fighting, and the Russian takes a picture, and then it shows, like, a montage of nuclear explosions, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I didn't know exactly what had happened. It's it's tough to say. Yeah, I I, I think only Stanley Kubrick knows. I mean, yeah. like, and, and, and maybe he left it ambiguous like that for us to just like sort of, you know, either reflect on what it would be like if this really happened. Yeah. Or just maybe <clears throat> maybe he's just messing with us like 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 some you know uh, filmmakers do. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe maybe it was there all along and we just didn't notice it. There's like some very small you know almost infinitesimal sign that that we missed out on because you know you wouldn't see it unless you actually wrote it yourself. Maybe, you know. Yeah, but I, I thought it was a good ending, too. I did, too. I, I'm glad um, it didn't save the day. Like, it was kind of just like, yeah, this is what could happen, folks. <laughs> like, yes. As ridiculous as this is. Yes. And I, as it's a, portrayed as a humorous thing. Yeah. It's not. And this could happen. I think it was a good choice to end it with the world ending. Of course, because it's 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 all and it's all about like old dudes, old men working out their their sexual frustration. Uh, you know, like, and this is the only this is the only outlet to do so. Mm-hmm. You know, is to destroy everybody on on Earth. Right. 
Um, Dave, did you have any like favorite scenes or anything? Favorite oh, jokes? I'm sure you got uh, a ton of them. Yeah, I I I love when after General Ripper kills himself, uh-huh. um, and Mandrake is now like alone, you know, in the base with uh-huh. with like the invading army. Um, he he comes across uh, he's, he he finds General Ripper's like notebooks and he's trying to like put together the the code the recall code yeah the recall code is based on like uh, some purity of essence yeah um, is is what because because earlier in the film Sterling Hayden had that great speech about you know like how he, the fluoride and everything. yes yeah. and how he what what it's like when he's with a woman now mm-hmm. yeah. um, and uh, the the. <laughs> One of the one of the people who comes one of the guys who comes into the office and like it, it, of the invading U.S. force uh, like gets cap gets Captain Mandrake in his clutches and is like mm-hmm. trying to get him arrest trying to arrest right, him. Right. Yeah. And when Peter Sellers goes into the hallway and he says he thinks he has the recall code, it's O P E or P O E something uh-huh. something. Yeah. I think I've got it, and I need to call the war room. I need to do all this, and mm-hmm. the guy is just not having it. Right. Uh, Colonel Bat Guano is this guy's name. <laughs> Bat Guano. Yes. <laughs> I love him. So stupid. <laughs> and I think Mandrake even says something like, um, a rather unfortunate name or something. Yes, he says yes. some kind of joke about <laughs> right. your name sucks. <laughs> In a very uh, British way, he yeah, says yeah. that, yes. Well, because Bat Guano thinks uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a foreign man in the U.S. base where the general should be. Of course. Well, he's like, where's General Ripper? Yeah. You know, and, and, he, and General Ripper's dead. Yes. So what, what is he going to assume? I think he's he makes good decisions here. Of course. And ultimately, he gives in and says, all right, you're right. This makes a little more sense now that you've explained things. Yes. And maybe you can uh, do what you need to do. And after, you know, like, he, he realized he doesn't have any money for this payphone. It's the only line that's <laughs> open. So he tells Bat Guano to, like, shoot the, well, the vending first, machine. Well, he's making a collect call to the President <laughs> of the United States. Yes. <laughs> I need to speak to President Merkin Muffley in the White House. <laughs> This is one of my favorite scenes too. It's so funny, and, and it's just that 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 like Bob Newhart style of yeah. like oh, yes, on the definitely. other end of a mm-hmm. call, right? Like he, he he's getting all this 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 great dialogue uh-huh. in, and he he's so panicked, but he's still remaining. I mean, that's 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 one of the hallmarks of being a uh, an English gentleman is to mm-hmm. never show your emotions, <laughs> and and so it only comes out when the guy won't you know give him some money from the vending machine. Right. Uh, it's it's <laughs> definitely my favorite scene, uh, or one of my favorite scenes, and and I I just I'm I just. I'm laughing it's all the really time. It's really funny. I watch it. this, yeah. this would make a great like short bit on something. Yes, you know? uh, like a Monty Python sketch. It is exactly. It'd it's be very amazing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And he he's trying to make the collect call. And he they, the the operators like they they won't take it. <laughs> so <laughs> he's like, all right, I don't have enough money. Do you have fifty cents on you? And Beck Barnes like, do you think I run around with spare change in this uniform? Like I go into battle with yeah. change. And then he's like, well, get some out of that machine. There's a Coke machine. He's like. I'm not, he goes, that's personal property or something like that. <laughs> and then he goes off like, you know, you better do it because the world's relying on this. Yes. And he goes, all right, but you know what's going to happen if we get through this? You're going to answer to the Coca-Cola company. <laughs> and that's the, it's so funny. And that's the end of the scene. Yeah. And, and then like. So, then he so shoots it and gets the change. All, yeah. all these quarters come running out of it. And, and. The, and we, we, we then cut to the war room and up on the big board, all the planes are being recalled. Yeah. And there's an announcement over the loudspeaker saying, you know, recall uh, code acknowledged by so-and-so and so-and-so. Yeah, right. But there's one plane that they can't get the recall code to. Right. Yep. Um, it's Slim Pickens' plane. Yep. And Slim is, is uh, I guess he's, he's riding really low to jam the Soviet radar because that's what he's trained to do. Yeah. And... George C. Scott, in this moment of crisis, after they've, they've triumphantly recalled all the planes except one, 
is now going back to his original right, plan yeah, yeah. of, you know what? Uh, he's like marveling at Slim Pickens' ingenuity. He's like, you know, well, if this guy's really trained well, uh-huh. I mean, if he can really jam it in there, you know. Yep. Um, he, he's, and then he's he realizes excited. what he's doing, and yes. he's like, he kind of stops all of a sudden and like kind of looks to the side and like drops his hands like, oh, fuck. And then he puts his hand over his mouth. Like, oh, yeah. what uh-huh. did I say? Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's excited about nuclear war. It's good. And speaking of the phone calls, my favorite stuff is when the president is on the line with the Russian leader, Dmitry. Yes, with the premier. Oh, God. It's, it's great. He's like making small talk and kind of beating around the bush yes, with them. Yes. Oh, it's really funny. He's like, well, yeah, I'm doing fine, too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Now listen, Dimitri. Um, we, remember when we talked about like <laughs> it's really good stuff. And there's the there's the moments too where he's like, um, he, well, he he says that now then, Dimitri. You know, we've always <laughs> talked about something going wrong with the bomb. You uh-huh. know, and then there's a pause, and he says, "Well, well, Dimitri, how do you think I feel about right, it?" Right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and he's he's like, "Well, I'm sorry too." It's like. Well, I'm allowed to be sorry. I'm, I'm yeah, just as sorry yeah. as you are, Dimitri. Right, yeah. And he's like, well, of course I like to call you. Of course I like to say hello. I <laughs> right. mean, not now, but anytime, Dimitri. Exactly. <laughs> and, and because they acknowledge that, the ambassador acknowledges that Dimitri's kind of drunk. Yes. <laughs> which, is, which is a nice touch. And I, I love it. We were talking about the low-flying plane. Yeah. At the end, he's on the phone with them, too. And he's like, look, Dimitri, I'm sorry they're dodging your radar and flying so low. <laughs> but they're trained to do so, aren't they? <laughs> Oh, it's ridiculous. I know this movie it's is ridiculous. insane. You know, <laughs> and, uh, oh dude. Yeah, and, and I mean, so Mandrake saves the day all but one, and and th- that that's that's even even capable people at the top positions or capable people in the middle management positions like Captain Mandrake. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter because there's going to be some lack of control somewhere that makes this thing possible, and. Forget about the disclaimer at the beginning of the movie that says, you know, there's there safeguards in place of the Air Force that make sure that this isn't going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure there is. Okay. Can, can, can you really, like, you know, figure out... I mean, we're, we're dealing with stuff that can destroy us all here. Do you think that disclaimer is... That studio added, or is that, I, that is, is that part of Kubrick's humor? That, that was studio added. Oh, I believe it. Yes. They pulled a Scarface. I yeah. believe so, mm-hmm. yes. That sucks. It does. That really sucks. Exactly. I mean, it, it's yeah, I know, and it does. It shouldn't be there, but it's the it's the movie's really only flaw. You yeah, know, I guess so. I mean, honestly, I I, I can't think of any of, of anything else that's wrong with it. I don't I don't think it's a flaw per se. It's just okay. there. Yeah, you can ignore it. Yeah, it's right at the just fast forward for five seconds. Exactly, You're good. because you know it isn't true anyway. Yeah. Uh, anything else, Dave? Um. Well, I I, I guess the only thing like the. There's only one woman in this movie. We mentioned her earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Tracy Reed. Uh, she was a, a, an English actress. And the the interesting thing is that even though she's only in one scene, she appears in a couple of other scenes on the pages of Playboy. Oh, uh, is she? Yeah, she's the okay, centerfold yeah. that Slim Pickens is looking at. Right, uh, one of the gotcha. other guys on the plane is looking at him, too. Uh, looking at it, too. Um, and also, Sterling Hayden himself... We know him from The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played the, you know, Captain McCloskey, who, you know, Michael shoots in the at, at Louis' restaurant. Uh-huh, yeah. He's an interesting guy. His participation in this was kind of cathartic for himself because, unfortunately, he had participated, uh, he had cooperated with the House on american Activities Committee. Oh, really? And he had named names. Ah. Um, along with Bud Schulberg and some other people. And he, like, deeply regretted it. Um, he, he, had, he had had, he had been a card-carrying communist in his, in his younger years, and he wasn't, I guess, like 
courageous enough, I guess, to, to, you know, to plead the fifth at those hearings. And he Mm -hmm. really felt horrible about what he did. And the reason he's in this movie is because he wanted to like sort of stick it to those people who had, you know, like not only strong armed him, but it continued to perpetuate this myth of, you know, we were always under threat of annihilation. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Mm Mm-hmm. So would you recommend the movie, Dave? Man, I, you know, th- this movie, like, like this is th- this is my favorite Stanley Kubrick film. Yep, you've said that before on the show. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah you, you, you have to see this. You have to, like, know it. You have to digest it. Everything about it, you have to know. This is a, a brilliant movie. Yeah, everybody should see it. Yeah, I would recommend it, too. Like I said last week, this is my first time mm-hmm. watching this movie. Yeah. I think my Kubrick knowledge is complete now. It is. It, yeah, it is. Yeah. You, so, you've seen the best ones. Yeah, so I'm good. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, this movie was great. I feel like because I knew knew about the War Room joke, uh-huh. the big one, right. it wasn't as funny. Right. Which sucks. Like I said, with Psycho, it lost some impact because you know about it already. Yeah. But it doesn't mean I didn't love the movie, man. Right. It was good. And I really want to watch it more because... Oh, man, dude, yeah. God, it, I, like I said before, you watch this five times, <laughs> you'll be dying on your sixth time. I like, know. every time it's just going to get better. And you, you'll, you'll get to enjoy, like, Sterling Hayden's great speech about, you know, like, when he's, when he's being intimate with a woman. Yeah. You know, because you already know what's going to happen. You just get to kind of appreciate these right, performances yeah. in this writing. I, um, I should buy this one. Mm-hmm. I think Criterion put it out actually. They, oh, did I think they? they did. Okay, I have to look into it. But anyways, yeah, this is a this is a buy. Absolutely, this movie, everyone yeah. should buy. This, this is movie, an own. Dude. Absolutely, yeah, own it and show it to your friends. <laughs> so that about wraps things up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe in iTunes, rate it, review it. Most of all, share it. Gets more dudes listening to the dudes. And if you don't use iTunes, find us anywhere else. You get a podcast. Rate us there. Leave a review. Do something nice. Yes. Share it. Right. (laughs) So, or go to dudesonmovies.com and you find anything you need right there. Yep. And we're on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. Just look for Dudes on Movies. And we have an email address, dudesonmovies at gmail.com. Yeah. So, we got a new question of the week, Dave. What is the question of the week? Uh, The question of the week is, what is your favorite Stanley Kubrick joint? Yeah. (laughs) Joint. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mine's do the right thing. Exactly. I like Malcolm X. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And guess what, folks? Dudes on Demand is uh huh. We've got next week a request from Mike in Phoenix. He wants us to do Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, the Guy Ritchie film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so stay tuned for that. It's going to be awesome, and it's starring Jason Statham. Yes. So until next week, I'm your dude Scott. I'm your dude Dave, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.